0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today my guest is Rich Bernoulli. Mountain bike frame building is both an art and a science. To many mountain bikers, it's a bit of a mystery as to how frames come together. So today we've asked Rich, who's an expert on frame building, to shed some light on how bike frames are designed and built. Rich has been teaching frame building at the United Bicycle Institute for nine years, and he joins us today to shed some light on the subject. Thanks for joining us, Rich.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So tell us a little bit about your background and what exactly you do at the United Bicycle Institute.
1: Sure. Uh, So I've been into bikes pretty much my whole life. I've got three older brothers that they were all into it. And, uh, you know, the youngest always wants to be like the older. So (laughs) got into it uh, pretty aggressively when I was a kid and it's always been a part of my life i've gone through bike shops and uh i worked for yeti cycles for two stints and i worked with james at black sheep for a lot of years in some capacity or another and then um moved here to oregon in uh 2008 or 9 and i've been at ubi ever since so Uh, and what i do here at ubi is i teach primarily the frame building side of things i'm uh a director or manager or something like that on that side of the building. And then I teach the mechanic side whenever they need help. Somebody's on vacation or something like that. So that's what I do.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So how did you learn
1: to build frames? How'd you first get into that yourself? So yeah, when I was at Yeti, I, um, I'd peek over, you know, around the curtain and watch, uh, Vega, the old Yeti welder, watch him uh, weld for a while. And then he let me kind of step on the pedals and blew a hole in aluminum faster than you could blink. <laughs> and, uh, but something happened there. I kind of got the itch. And then also in my undergrad, I was part of a steel bridge competition and we had to fabricate a one-twelfth model scale model bridge. And, um, nobody on my team wanted to fabricate it except for one other guy. So it was just me and him. And, um, and I got to learn how to weld. It was all straight thicker tubing or uh, a thicker plate. Mm-hmm but, uh, that kind of solidified the idea that, uh, it's pretty cool to build stuff and melt metal. And then, um, when I was in grad school, I took, uh, I was also working at black sheep at the time, but I took a, a TIG welding course at a community college and went crazy. I just went nuts. So <laughs> I fulfilled the, uh, the course requirements almost halfway through. And then the rest of the class, I could just bring in material and, and just weld away. So I just practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And, practiced and and yeah, uh came here and was able to uh, show some ability and, and some knowledge and uh, definitely got humbled because uh, there's a lot that I realized I didn't know. And um, I still don't, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah, I get to uh, share the love. So
0: Yeah, that's cool. So you mentioned uh, TIG welding, I think, which is one of the forms of welding uh, that's used in bike frames. Can you explain... Uh, what the terms brazing and TIG welding mean, especially when we're talking about mountain bike frames?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So just fundamentally, welding is when you take a parent material. So let's just say, for example, steel. You have steel tubes, and you melt that parent material. So you're going to take it to a temperature where it's actually melting the tubes, and then you're going to add the same or very, very similar alloy to the, the seam or the area that you're, you're heating. Uh, so you're basically adding the same material to the parent material and you're heating the parent material enough that it's melting, I guess.
0: Yeah. That's basically the two of fuse together, I guess. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And brazing is fundamentally different in two cases. One is you're never melting or you shouldn't be melting the parent material to its melting point. It should still be a solid, but you are melting a dissimilar metal. In doing so, when you melt the dissimilar metal, if you're using a correct process and metal, you get a, what's called a metallurgical bond between the two metals.
0: Okay. So, yeah, it sounds like you can use either one of those processes uh, when you're building a bike frame. Why would you choose one over the other? What are some of the like pros and cons of each?
1: Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into that. So, let's say you're somebody who's just starting out. It's, it's going to be a lot more cost effective to or at least a cheaper start if you're doing brazing because welders are they're just a lot more expensive and brazing is for the most part it's an easier process to pick up and learn and you know even fillet brazing which we can talk about if you would like it's it's got a steeper learning curve than lug brazing but in the end if you know what you're doing you get some practice you can always file off parts of the brass or bronze that you'd didn't want or don't want so it's not like uh, welding where you've got to take a lot of time just to learn it and you have to spend a lot of money on the machine so that would be one consideration why you would go with one method versus another aside from that you're looking at you know what kind of aesthetic do you want a lot of people like the organic look of the phillip braze, where it looks like one tube is kind of grown into another you don't really see a seam some people like the lugs um, that that aesthetic and then uh, other people like you know sort of the fingerprint look of a weld so the personality of the builder could go into it and then also you know finally maybe it could be material um, if you're you know set on titanium then you're not going to be brazing titanium you're going to be welding it so steel is pretty uh, forgiving in that it has a lot of processes that you can do and do well with titanium is um, not so much you're just going to weld it
0: you mentioned titanium and uh, obviously there are a lot of different materials that can be used to create mountain bike frames these days you know carbon fiber is hot and we're hearing about companies that are starting to build their own carbon fiber frames does ubi teach carbon frame building or or how does that fit
1: into sort of the programs that are offered there we do not offer it i would i would love the opportunity to to get into that like get into teaching it carbon is there's a reason why it's popping up everywhere is because it's a it's a pretty awesome material as far as any kind of engineering application or performance application is i mean at least relative to the metal work that we do we've you know looked at it as far as UBI is concerned um in teaching it but uh there's definitely some obstacles you know both with our, the state and having our license and and then also um just the material itself so uh it it may come down the pipe uh at some point so for those of you who are interested keep checking in
0: so what are you seeing in terms of carbon fiber like what's the fabrication process like how does it compare to you know, more traditional, uh, metal frame construction.
1: Yeah. So the current methods that we're seeing is very similar to, or it can be very similar to metal construction in that there are some frame builders that are particularly the smaller custom builders that are doing what's called a tube to tube construction. And what that means is they're taking prefab tubes, prefabricated tubes, and they're cutting them like you would a steel tube or a titanium tube. They're mitering them to match a head tube and a seat tube or a bottom bracket. And then they bond those together and then they'll wrap it with what's called a pre-preg layup. So pre-preg means it's a pre-impregnated sheet of carbon and resin. And you wrap that around the, um, the joint and you put it under some compression and some heat. And it, uh, it cures and then you take it out and you basically buff it and finish it to the aesthetic that you want. And then they add paint and all that. So the other methods that we're seeing is kind of a little more expensive, but it's kind of filtering down to some of the custom builders as well. And that's it's called a net molding technique where they basically take a think of two gigantic clamshells and inside the clamshell is a mold of whatever shape of tube you want. And you have a particular layup schedule, they call it. And it's basically just how you lay different sheets of this carbon. Uh, You put it in there and you can have either a bladder or some kind of uh, disposable or uh, removable molding uh, component that allows you to compress the uh, sheets together. And then that goes in uh, under some heat as well. And then when it's cured or when it's done, you've got a cured tube. And, and what some manufacturers are doing is they're taking that process in certain tubes, and then using it as a almost like a tube-to-tube construction. So it's kind of a, a combination of both. When you look at like the bigger companies, the Treks, the Santa Cruz's and Yetis, and all those guys, they're they're using the net molding for all of their the whole like front triangle could be net molded. So. Hmm. Uh, that's the big difference between, um, you know, the smaller frame builders that you're seeing offering custom carbon versus the, uh, the big guys. Okay. So, yeah, we talked
0: about a number of these materials that uh, people use to create mountain bike frames. What are some of the considerations that people need to make when they, it comes to material selection?
1: So it depends on what perspective. So if you're looking at it from, you know, a frame builder's perspective, it's going to be, um, what are they like working with? What are they comfortable working with? Are they a brazer? Are they a welder? Um, if you're looking at it from the consumer side of it, it's, there's a whole lot more questions. Like what are you going to use it for? Uh, how long do you want it? What's the price? Um, and then a lot of it can go into what we're seeing. I think we're seeing a lot of is, um, kind of the mystique behind it so as a frame builder side you know if you're if you're a welder or if you enjoy welding more then you're going to be sticking to you know either TIG welding steel or tie i think uh, most frame builders like the idea of both being able to do both but um, the option for doing TIE is pretty popular just because it's looked at it's regarded as a more favorable material Aluminum is still in play. There's just not a whole lot of people that are custom frame builders that are offering it, but uh, the ones that do seem to have a pretty good niche. Still, they're they're doing pretty well. I'm speaking primarily of uh, Rock Lobster. Paul Sadoff at Rock Lobster is doing really well, and he's he deserves. It. He's an awesome frame builder and definitely knows what he's doing. But um, he he uh, he can still handle aluminum, and, and he does a lot of steel frames as well. Hmm. Yeah, I was
0: going to ask that. Why don't you see more custom frame builders using aluminum?
1: It's—I uh, don't know if it matches the the kind of client. Um, I think if people are saving up for a custom frame built frame, they they're not looking at. Um, I think people often look at aluminum as like a inferior material, uh, and in certain cases, it can be for sure. It's not—it's not going to have the lifetime that steel or or certainly titanium has. So that might be an issue, but otherwise I'm not, I can't answer that. I, I don't know if, you know, if it's built by somebody who knows what they're doing, um, you can have an aluminum frame that will last you a long time, but, um, it certainly has its limitations.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause you know, I mean, back in the nineties, that was the big thing, right? It was aluminum. It was better than steel for a lot of reasons, or we were told that. Yeah. And obviously it can be lighter weight, uh, than steel in some ways. So there really isn't any, reason not to use it in terms of you know is it harder to work with or to weld on do you need specialized equipment for it or or is it just just preference people don't there isn't as much demand for custom aluminum bikes
1: um i think it's a little bit of all of the above the um aluminum does take a a different welding uh setup you have to weld what's called ac as opposed to steel and tie being dc and if you're used to only welding steel and tie, then uh, welding aluminum is going to be a challenge for sure. But I think anybody who's into it can weld aluminum as well. But otherwise, it's uh, it, it does require heat treatment after weld or at least uh, artificial aging um, after it's welded. And some people don't want to get into that. It typically is painted or anodized and some people don't like that idea. It's Aluminum has great corrosion resistance except for salt saltwater solution. So, uh, your, your sweat or, you know, living near the beach or something might be a thing to think about, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I think honestly it's, um, it's just not, it doesn't fit the custom frame builder mantra, if you will.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, like steel is, you know, still kind of still holds on a little bit because of the, um, the durability and, and the, uh, what we can do with it. But I think, um, you know, most of the frame builders I know, they're they're definitely doing a lot of work in tie.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So let's talk about some of the characteristics of some specific frame materials. So we've been talking in general terms about, you know, steel and aluminum. But even within steel and aluminum, there are different sort of variations
1: and alloys, right? Yeah, and... and- I think to the average consumer, they're never gonna know the difference. So if you look at aluminum, for example, there's six thousand series and seven thousand series, and for the most part, it's what what that comes down to is how they're fabricated and what, what needs to happen through the fabrication process. Um, I think once it's a finished frame, I, I don't know if you know there's people out there that are gonna know the difference. And th- and that goes for steel as well. There's a lot of companies have their proprietary alloys that they you know they have terms for and and i think um you know people are who are paying a lot of money for a custom built frame they like to see those specific stickers you know for columbus or dead of child i say or, or whatever but uh i gotta be honest if you were to blindfold me and put me on two steel frames they're the exact same thing only one's got you know one kind of steel tubing versus another, I, I don't think I would notice a difference.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's good that you
1: admit that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share another secret with you. Um, if you've got a frame builder that, you know, swears solely on using one manufacturer's tubes that, that I don't look at that as a, uh, from my perspective, I don't look at that as an awesome thing to market because one, there's, there's some awesome two manufacturers out there and there's not just one. And two, I know how Columbus works, and they don't just make any tube at any time. They they have they have runs of them, which means that you could you could likely, uh, as I have, you know, ordering tubes for UBI, come into a scenario where a tube's not available. And if a tube's not available, but you only are you know saying, telling your customer that you only use one tube, then your customer is going to have to wait even longer. Huh. Which some people they pride themselves on having a long wait list but other people you know they pride on being able to get you a bike quickly so i think when uh if you have a particular frame builder is like yeah i only use you know brand a that might be a little bit of a short sightedness in my mind because yeah. there's other ways and and other manufacturers make tubes that other manufacturers don't that you might want to use to you know hone in the the feel or the the style or the type of the bike so hmm. Just my two
0: cents. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tip. I mean, as a product reviewer too, um, I think people expect maybe that we're able to tell a difference between that stuff. I mean, it's a big part of the marketing for bikes, like you said, and sure. You know, they use the seven thousand series or the six thousand series. Um, yeah, it's good to it's good to hear that. That we're not alone in not being able to tell a big difference in that. So let's, let's talk a little more in depth about steel. So what's like a common, uh, steel material or or tubing type that you would use and what are sort of the pros and cons of it?
1: So the most common in, and I would argue, unless it's a stainless, the most common steel is it's all over. It's 4130 and that's kind of the alloy um, designation and there are different variations of that. Um, and they're very slight and that, that goes back to what I was saying where you may not notice, I, I doubt you would notice, but, um, but for the most part, it's all 4130 chromoly tubing, just different variations of that, just so that, um, you know, manufacturers can put their, put their labels on it, but it's a excellent, excellent tube, uh, alloy. It's, it's been around for a long time. Most of us who've been riding, you know, BMX bikes as a kid and stuff, we can remember how, chromoly was such a, uh, marketed term because it was, you know, a level of alloy that was superior to just, you know, steel. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's, what's primarily used in all of the, uh, the frame tubes that we use there that we see today and all the popular manufacturers at least, um, and certainly everything that we use here at UBI.
0: Cool. Um, and yeah, talk about too, like the sort of the failure mode of steel is that, Better or worse than other materials or or how's it different?
1: It's absolutely better than most. It's better than aluminum for sure and it's better than carbon. I think it it it's rivaling, you know, titanium kind of they both have the same failure mode, so to speak. But so yeah, what it does is if you know, if it's built correctly and the frame is used correctly, it's gonna fatigue fail, which means you're gonna get cracks. And, um, most cases, most people will tell, they'll be able to see a crack either, you know, cracking in a paint or bubbling in the paint or that you can feel it too. Something just doesn't feel right. It's mm-hmm. not going well. So you take a look down at your head tube down to or your BB or something, you're like, Oh yeah, there's a crack there. And that's a good time to get off that frame.
0: Well, can it be repaired? I mean, is it, is it more, is it easier to be repaired than other materials?
1: Steel can absolutely be repaired. when you get into certain scenarios though it you know it's up to the frame builder and how much they're going to cost and how much you want to save that frame because there's a lot of cases where places that i've worked you know we look at a frame and it's like yeah we can fix this but we can also just build you a new one for like <laughs> price you know so yeah take a look at that but some people are so attached to a particular frame that they uh they're willing to go through that and that's awesome that's fine there's certainly nothing wrong with that but yeah still can be repaired a lot easier than uh aluminum yeah we can get into the other materials too, if you like, but, uh, yeah, steel can certainly be repaired.
0: Cool. Well, yeah, you mentioned stainless steel as a material and that's one, I mean, we hear obviously a lot more about chromoly. So tell us a little bit about stainless
1: steel and why you might use that in a bike frame. Well, stainless steels generally, at least the tubes that are used in the frame building, they're generally a little bit stronger. The, um, they have obviously better corrosion resistance. The, downside to them is that they because they're stronger there's no such thing as a free lunch right so it's something generally pretty structural metals as they get stronger they also get more brittle so you don't see a whole lot of stainless uh, being built these days some people give it a shot and then they find out that you know it's not the best material we do want our frames to flex and move around and have that ability so if a frame can't do that without cracking then it's generally not a good idea to continue to build with that. So,
0: yeah.
1: And I have to, I have to preface this with, uh, I, I don't have a whole lot of stainless steel experience. I've welded the tubes, but I haven't built the whole frame myself. But I, the reason why I haven't, I don't have a drive to is because I've heard of what other frame builders are going through. So, um, it's just not something that I'm, you know, eager to dive into.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with all of these, obviously there are trade-offs, you know, I mean, while stainless steel is going to be like more corrosion resistant or, um, maybe a little bit stronger, you know, that comes with the trade-off of it being harder to work with and maybe, you know, the failure mode isn't as desirable. So yeah, that's definitely good to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. I think if, you know, if I was a customer looking for a custom frame from a builder, I think if, uh, if that was the case and they were interested in stainless, I'd try and talk them into tie because it's about the same. They weld very similar. They're very they're both very sticky materials. And uh, you have to back purge both of them, or at least you should with stainless. And I think the end result with a tie frame, tie loves to be a bike, bike frame, a hardtail, a road frame, cyclocross. Tie loves that stuff. And to take that away from ties and then in order to have stainless is kind of silly to me, but but that's just my opinion. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, let's let's talk about titanium. What are some more of the advantages to using titanium, and and what makes it different from steel and aluminum?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm I'm will hear it. Uh, I'm definitely biased to tie because honestly the the one true sole disadvantage with tie is the the price, the cost of it, and that's uh, arguably that's going to come down here pretty soon too because I, I just read something about um, some. Colleges are finding better ways to, cheaper ways to turn it into the tubing um, that we use. That's good news. But well, how much does it cost? I'm, I'm
0: curious. How much does it cost like per linear foot compared to say steel or aluminum?
1: Yeah. So let's say a, a, a really expensive tied down tube can cost like, a you know, an inch and seven eighths or an inch and five eighths down tube can cost around a hundred dollars for just the down tube. Oh, wow. Yeah. And on steel, you know, you can get a down tube for maybe 35 to 50 at the most, I think so. Okay. So
0: yeah, at least, at least twice as much
1: for the. Exactly. Titanium. Okay. And that's just the tubing, um, the, the machining. So if you have anything that's machined like a head tube or dropouts or bottom bracket, that's also going to go up because it's more expensive to machine, titanium correctly than, uh, anything else. So anything else that we use in the so, bike industry.
0: Is that because is there more labor involved in the machining or do you need specialized equipment that's more expensive? What, what is the reason for that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's a harder material to machine. It's uh it's a very elastic, but hard material. It's got a really odd characteristic that way. So it'll go through your cutting tools really, really quickly. And you also have to re- pay really good attention to it's set up because it's so flexible that it likes to kind of move around while you're cutting it and that's generally not good for an efficient cut so and you got to keep it under you know temperature because if it gets too hot then it starts to oxidize um really quickly and that could be a detriment to its properties so it's a tricky material to play with but once you get a once you get a frame out of it that frame will last your lifetime so We'll, we'll get sick of looking at it and putting parts on it before that thing's ready to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So when we talk about titanium too, I mean, are we talking pure titanium, like elemental titanium, or, or is it also an alloy like steel or aluminum when you're working with it?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely an alloy too. There is commercially pure titanium used in certain aspects. You'll see it sometimes with brazons or you know, housing stops or saddles. Sometimes people will use it for a BB or even a dropout because it's cheaper. But the alloys that we predominantly see, especially in tubes, is uh, it's called 325, and what that represents is it's three percent aluminum and two and a half percent vanadium, and those are the two primary alloying elements. And then there's also a stronger tube or stronger alloy that's called 64. And it's the same thing. It's 6% aluminum and 4% vanadium. The downside with the 6.4 is it's obviously more expensive. It's less efficient or cost effective to manipulate. And it's a little more brittle. So we don't see it a whole lot. But there are some frame builders that use it to produce like a really ultra light frame that we in, in relation to 325. But 325 is the bread and butter for the Thai industry for sure.
0: Okay. So we, we've talked a little bit about aluminum, some of the advantages and disadvantages of using that for a mountain bike frame. Uh, what, what else do we need to know about aluminum?
1: Yeah. So aluminum's a, it's a funny one to me. I, I, I always kind of joke with students that, um, you know, I, especially the Canada, they, they're they kind of, were. Um, I know they're not the first, but they were the first big company to start producing a lot of aluminum. And I kind of feel like the the engineer at the time was probably, you know, working hard at his desk and his boss came down and said, hey, I need you to work. Uh, I need you to build, you know, frames now using aluminum. And he like flipped through his engineering materials book and saw the properties and thought, man, I'm going to get fired because, you know, <laughs> it's just um, the sole benefit of aluminum is that it's it's lightweight. It's like a third the weight of steel.
0: Uh-huh.
1: But otherwise, it's fatigue life is horrible. Its strength is horrible. Its ultimate strength is just above its tensile strength, which is usually not a good, good match either, because that means that it's going to rip apart right after it starts to move. Uh So there's just so many things that, that makes aluminum just a very poor idea, but because it's so lightweight, we can use so much of it (laughs) and still, and, and the cool thing about engineering, I guess, is that you can take a material like aluminum that, you know, if you just look at the numbers, it's not a superior material at all for structures But we can engineer certain things into it. So an example of this is, you know, it's not very stiff. It's a noodle. But when you turn it into a large diameter tube, the larger the diameter, the stiffer the tube is. And it gets stiff in a hurry. So we can we can induce stiffness into the material, even though inherently its properties are very not stiff. And then we can because it's so lightweight, we can add thicker wall to increase its strength as a tube, even though it's inherent strength is not very good. So it's cheap and it's light. And those two things allow us to really manipulate and engineer, um, use the engineering properties that we can to, uh, to make it a really awesome frame material for, for bicycles.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really interesting the way you put that, that, you know, it's sole advantage in a lot of ways is it's lightweight. Um, and that, bike builders have compensated for a lot of the other drawbacks with the material to make it work
1: yeah it's kind of cool it's awesome in that way that you know um you just look at it in the book and you're like no way is this going to work as <laughs> a structure but then we can we can manipulate it in ways that kind of enhance the properties that we want pretty cool yeah Well,
0: so far we've talked about aluminum, steel, titanium. These are all metals and alloys of metals. But then the other big one is carbon fiber, obviously. And it behaves a lot differently than these other materials, right? What are the pros and cons
1: of carbon fiber for bike frames? Oh man, there's a lot of pros. Um, The biggest one that I can think of is the fact that we can manipulate its strength axes Almost indefinitely. I mean, we, we can put them anywhere we want and it's, you know, if you take, um, one way that I like to describe this is if you give me a a piece of wood, we can all kind of have seen like there's grains in wood, right? Mm -hmm. And those grains represent, you know, a strong axis versus a weak axis. And when you're looking at metals, there are granular structures to metals that are kind of similar to how you would look at that piece of wood. But with carbon, it's that's up to us. We have the opportunity to put that grain of wood this direction or that direction mm-hmm. or both. We can stack them on top of each other in in what's called a layup. So what that does is it gives the designer an opportunity to create an axis that's stiff, and then a you know maybe a forty five degree or a ninety degree axis that is compliant, and uh, it can create a torsional stiffness, but a bending compliance, uh, or vice versa. It's just incredible what what we're able to do when we have the say on where the strength axes are going or coming from. So that's the big reason why we're seeing uh, everything pop up in carbon because we have the ability, and we're learning more how to manipulate it and how to fabricate it um, effectively. Uh, we're we're seeing it, and you know, there's wheels right now from Santa Cruz that are. Uh, they have a lifetime warranty, and yeah. uh, anybody that's seen you know a downhill race, the wheels after a downhill practice, they look like you know they're a pit bull chew toy. <laughs> and to um to think that a, a carbon frame or a carbon uh, wheel can get through that is you know ridiculous. But it not only can they do it, but they're to the point now where at least Santa Cruz feels comfortable in offering a, a lifetime warranty. So um, we're making huge strides with it. I know the, uh, the resin is, is still has a lot of uh, growth there in, uh, the strength and the bonding properties with carbon. And, um, yeah, it's a fun material. It's uh, definitely one that we're, we're going to see continue to grow. The downside to it is, and it's kind of a bad one for sure. And that is that, uh, it's expensive and it's, it's not great on the environment to, to produce, but then also, we have yet to find and i I know that there's other universities as well that are looking into this we've yet to find a way to recycle it Mm -hmm. like truly recycle it because the way we're doing that now is we basically throw all this carbon to a pit we chew it up and then we um we put it into a mix where we're applying mold it it goes into a mold Mm -hmm. and those molds are used for non-structural components so we're seeing them in like you know, maybe the casing on your computer is this kind of carbon or your, your phone might have a case that's this kind of carbon. Um, but it's not a structure and, and it's, it's not structurally sound and it's certainly not something that you're going to turn around and make into a bike again. So.
0: Right. That's interesting. This is good news, I guess, um, that at least we're finding ways to reuse it. I mean, last I heard there were like warehouses full of carbon bike frames that, people didn't know what to do with them you know they were hoping to recycle them but yeah it sounds like they're still trying to figure out the best way to do that
1: yeah as far as i know they're still warehouses full of it (laughs) it's it's sad it's sad for sure and and it certainly you know weighs on my mind because i ride carbon frames all the time but um I'm hoping that uh, you know we find something that we can do cool with with uh, the leftovers because there's a lot of leftovers. It's not just the bike industry; it's you know the aircraft industry, the aeronautics industry, the military. We all use this stuff, so uh, it's it's piling up. Well, is, it, is it
0: repairable? I mean, I guess it depends on the, the situation, but is that something that UBI talks about or looks at in terms of, of how carbon is
1: repairable? We don't. UBI doesn't specifically, unless somebody asks, just because we don't deal with it. You know, it's not in our curriculum as far as the frame building side goes, but it is absolutely repairable. I think one of the downsides to it is, you know, if you buy a carbon frame, The bike industry is moving so fast, and that, you know, if let's say you crack your top tube and the bike is five years old, you're looking at, okay, if I fix this, I can spend that money and do that. But the bike doesn't have boost, you know, it may not have a tapered steer tube or, you know, some kind of component that's changed to the point where it's like, man, I would really like to have the benefit of that so why spend the money on fixing this frame, right? It's, uh, we're moving so fast in the bike industry as far as the progression and, uh, the design of things that, you know, our, our carbon frames are almost like computers these days where two or three years, they're going to be a little bit behind of what's available what's out there is, you know, compatibility wise. Yeah. So
0: thinking about this, um, as you know, an engineer, And thinking about the structure of carbon, is it possible to repair it more easily? I mean, basically it's like a matrix of these fibers and and if you're able to like patch over it, does that bring its strength back up uh, to where it should be compared to like metal bike frame?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's not where, if you have it repaired correctly, it's, it's going to be, you know, kind of like a, like your own bone when it breaks, when it breaks and it heals correctly the area where it broke is going to be stronger than, than it was before. Hmm. So carbon is, as far as I understand, the people that do it, the calfies and the ruckus, they, they, when they repair it, it's, that area is going to be stronger than it than it had been previously.
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: It might weigh, to, weigh a little bit more as well, but you know, that's, that's the downside maybe to, um, to repairing, but will somebody know? I doubt it. I doubt you could tell the difference.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about some less traditional frame building materials. What do you think about things like wood or bamboo? I mean, are there advantages to, to using that, those kinds of materials? Or is that just kind of like a, like a fad or like an artsy kind of project?
1: Boy, so this is purely my, my opinion. Just looking from the outside, I've, I've ridden a bamboo bike and I've seen a lot of wooden ones, a handful of wooden ones, but I've never worked with them myself. So take this all with a grain of salt, but I think wood is is a a great material just for any kind of structure. So the people that apply it to a bike and they do it well, it's beautiful, and um, and it's got a interesting ride characteristic. At least the one that uh, that I rode, but as far as how it performs relative to you know tie or even steel and and carbon, no, it's it's not. You're not going to have the same performance advantages. It's not as lightweight not going to have the stiffness that it does. And if it's done correctly, it'll, you know, it'll last a while for sure. Um, that's wood. Bamboo specifically is, I think is an awesome way to go because of its resource ability. It's, um, it's like a weed in, in a lot of parts of the world. So Mm -hmm. if we can, you know, continue to learn how to, uh, choose tubes and grow the tubes that work well for bicycle frames, I think Kalfi has done a really good job of showing, it's niche in the world, not just, you know, around in the U S where, you know, we see a lot of them as kind of a niche a fad, kind of a bicycle. I think, uh, it has a really good opportunity to, uh, continue to grow in less fortunate parts of the world. And, um, that, you know, that part of it I'm stoked about.
0: Yeah. That, yeah. That, that just blew my mind that you said growing tubes and like shaping them and yeah, you know, and that's, that's a cool way to, to think about it though. I mean, yeah, it's not like you're just cutting down a random piece of bamboo and slapping it onto a bike frame. I mean, there's still engineering that goes into it and a lot of thought that goes into how that comes together and and everything.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think um that's probably something that I can't speak for him directly by any means, but I'm sure Calfie had a couple of sleepless nights thinking about how am I going to, you know, choose, you know, particular uh tubes because you you can't just cut down any Uh, bamboo shoot in your neighborhood and call it a frame (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's there's definitely some uh, education that needs to go into that yeah all right well we're going to take a quick break but when we come
0: back we're going to talk about the ubi frame building class and how that's structured and, and what people get out of it so stay tuned you can't see me but i'm wearing an awesome single tracks hat right now it's actually the reason my voice sounds so amazing okay so maybe not but you never know until you get a hat for yourself Go to shop.singletracks.com to find Singletracks hats, t-shirts, stickers, tubular headwear, and can coolers. Shipping is free within the USA, and your purchase helps support the Singletracks podcast. That's shop.singletracks.com, and thank you for your support. So Rich, talk to us a little bit about the UBI frame building class. How's that set up, and, and who is that structured for?
1: So we have, uh, the three main classes that we have are brazing steel. And in that brazing steel class, you get to choose if you do a fillet braze frame or a lug frame. And then we have a TIG steel, which is TIG welding. And then we have a titanium TIG class. And all of our frame classes are two two weeks long. Um, so 10 days, we don't do anything in the weekend. And in those 10 days, you learn to fabricate, you learn to Uh, draw your full-scale model of your frame that you're going to build and uh, we talk about you know frame design and frame fit and then the rest of the time is fabricating an awesome frame yeah so it's an experience that uh, anybody can walk into we we've had people take the class that didn't even know what a bottom bracket was (laughs) and then we've had people that um you know, they've built five or 10 frames on their own and, and now they're ready to come in and ask some, you know, some questions to fill in the remaining gaps that they have. And age wise, we've, we've had them all. We've had, you know, kids that are just eligible to, to uh, sign up and we've had people that, um, you know, they're 70 years, 70 years old and they've always wanted to do it. It's been a bucket list and, um, Yeah. The whole gamut, it's, it's awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, what do most people hope to get out of this? I mean, I guess it, it probably runs the gamut as well. You've got people who do it just for fun and they're like, hey, it might be cool to build my own frame to people who are like, I'm going to be a frame builder and like make bikes and sell them. So what, what's sort of the
1: mix with the students? The most popular is the student who wants to see what it's like with the idea that, you know, maybe there's a chance that they could start something on their own you know kind of grow it from a hobby yeah that's probably the most popular kind of student that we have but then we have the ones that you know they're they're all about it they've maybe they've got a machining background or an engineering background or you know their their parents were some kind of into some kind of fabrication or art or something like that and you know they they knew early on or they went to a nabs show and they were like man this is this is what i got to do and so we we get you know a handful of those and and then we get on the other side of the spectrum, we get people that are like, look, I, I just want to build my one frame that I can say I built myself and, you know, ride, ride it around, you know, with my grandkids or with my kids or, or, um, you know, just show people that, you know, I, I built my own frame. So
0: the class itself, I mean, two weeks doesn't sound like a whole lot of time what exactly do people do? They basically spend most of the time building or how much of that is like instruction
1: where you're, you know, sitting in a lecture and it's pretty minimal lecture. Um, we pride ourselves on keeping it minimal just because there's, as you mentioned, there's not a whole lot of time to, to learn all those things, to learn how to fabricate, how to draw the frame and then physically build the frame. So, uh, we, it's a tight curriculum. It's, um, I was, I remember the first, days that i was working here the first few classes that i sat in and i was like this is madness like (laughs) these students are getting so much information thrown at them but um but the good thing is that the reason why it works is um every student that i've seen has some level of enthusiasm they're stoked to be here so uh that that goes a long ways and then the curriculum that ubi has established since you know the late 80s uh it shows there's you know our our priorities are certainly keeping everybody safe. But then after that, it's, it's keep It's teaching people how to, um, how to build frames in a, in a very efficient way. So it gets done for sure. It's, it's sometimes it's surprising, but, uh, at the end of the two weeks people leave with a frame.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I imagine frame building too, is like a lot of things where you just learn so much by experience too. I mean, your first frame isn't nearly as tight as like your hundredth, right? So I guess that's part of it as well.
1: Absolutely. And I'm I'm glad you said that because there's some people out there that, that feel like either, I don't know where it started, where, you know, if a student said that they're a master frame builder after one class, it's certainly not the case. You're, you're not going to have anybody come in and, and learn any craft. I don't care if it's, you know, plumbing or playing a guitar or whatever. Nobody's going to be an expert in anything doing it for two weeks. So, uh, anybody that that uh, hears the UBI will turn you into a master frame builder in two weeks or even if you take all of our classes you're still not going to be a master frame builder it's it's kind of silly but what you are going to be is somebody who learned how to you know use a file and how to design a frame and how to miter tubes and how to weld thin walled tubing and uh, or braze you know lugs or fill it it's a uh, it's an experience but It is up to the individual person to go home and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and uh, learn a lot of lessons that you can't, that we can't teach you in in two weeks.
0: Yeah. Well, I imagine a lot of frame builders come at this as, as like a self-taught type of skill, or maybe, maybe they apprentice under someone. So what are the advantages of taking a class like this versus just trying to like figure it out on your own or learn from somebody else?
1: the The biggest advantage is that you've you've got a curriculum that's been established for a long time, and some people look at this as a as a negative. They they're like, okay, I can go to you know a frame builder and watch him build my frame, or or you know participate with him in uh, building this frame, or I can go to UBI where I've got I got to share with you know seven other students and an instructor. I can tell you that I you know I've built somewhere around. I'm guessing around 150 frames, and almost every single one of those frames, I can tell you that there's something either I wish I could do differently, or there was an obstacle that I had to work around. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the fact that you get to come to UBI and you get the experience and education that we have, but then also you get a you get to build nine frames with you know eight other people, so you get to talk about and work through different obstacles that you're going to have. So you get a jump on basically nine frames, whereas somebody who's just doing it, uh, with one instructor, one shop, you know, in the middle of nowhere somewhere, um, that you get one shot at a frame and then you're going to go onto your next one and have to learn something again, where, you know, if you were to talk to and converse with and learn with the other students, you're, you're getting out some, a lot of experience in one shot. So that to me is the, the biggest advantage, uh, it being at UBI versus, you know, somewhere else or learning on your own. Yeah. Yeah. There's a
0: lot to be said from learning from other people's mistakes and also, yeah, not picking up bad habits too, which I imagine you would if you, you know, talk to the guy, yeah, the guy, you know, who builds frames and, you know, he can probably give you some useful stuff, but there's probably also stuff that he's doing this not exactly right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And also a lot, not everyone, obviously, but a lot of students I'm still in contact with, they'll, you know, I've had students email me with, you know, they're, they're looking at a welder on Craigslist and they're like, Hey man, can you take a look at this and see, you know, give me your thoughts on it or, or even setting up a welder, brand new welder, or, you know, they get to their fourth frame and they're doing, you know, curved seat tubes. So they haven't, they asked my opinion on how to fixture it up or something. And, and I'm happy to do that. I love doing it. It's uh, one of the perks of my job. So, um, a student who leaves here, they're they we don't forget you, and by any means, it's um, we want to keep in contact. And and if you're building frames and and um, doing awesome stuff, we'll even market the heck out of it for you. So, uh, that's another advantage to being here.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Well, thanks, Rich, so much for joining us and for filling us in on mountain bike frame materials and construction techniques. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Yeah, so if you're interested in perhaps building your own bike frame, check out the United Bicycle Institute online. Look at their class schedule and find out more about frame building and also if you're enjoying the single tracks podcast we'd love to have you rate us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts that's all we've got this week we'll talk to you again next week peace